Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory, founder of TeamsRock.com. Join us as Greg interviews thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from professional sports to manufacturing to business and industry. Now, let's join Greg for another powerful episode of the Teamwork Advantage. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage, the podcast that's dedicated to the growth and development of teamwork, leadership, and culture, or what we call the TLC. And today we're bringing you a guest uh, not too far from where I am, up in uh, the Columbia, Maryland area, works in Baltimore for a little college and uh, hospital you might have heard of called Johns Hopkins, and talking about culture of health. And it's going to be so entertaining to understand the correlation between our own personal health and the culture of health in the organization that can actually drive productivity for all of us. So if it's your first time listening, I am Greg Gregory and your host, as well as the founder of the Teamwork Advantage. We'd like to welcome you to joining us. We've been downloaded in 79 countries. So without any further ado today, let's kind of get right into it and have a little understanding of the culture of health. For over 20 years now, Workplace health pioneer and thought leader, Dr. Richard Safir, has assessed cultures, trained leaders, conducted and explored research on the intersection of individual and organizational behavior. I love the intersection aspect. Dr. Safir also currently serves as the Chief Medical Director of Employee Health and Wellbeing for Johns Hopkins Medicine, where he leads the healthy at Hopkins employee health and well-being strategy and i think that's so powerful our organizations all need to have some form of a health and well-being strategy he's also a regular conference speaker on the topic of building culture of health well-being and has published numerous journals and articles on the topic he also teaches at the department of health behavior and society at johns hopkins bloomberg school of public health he's taught the inaugural graduate course organizational health at american university and he's going to talk about his book that's out just recently as well. Welcome, Dr. Zafir, and if it's okay, I'll call you Rich. Please do, Greg. It's great All to right, be here. Rich. Good. We're excited to have you here. So did you wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to be a doctor of uh, all of this culture and health? No, uh, definitely not what I was thinking about when I decided to go to medical school. Uh, I trained as a family doctor. And after finishing my training, I joined a family practice in suburbia where I thought I'd be practicing for 30 years. Didn't make it more than two years before I made a slight pivot. A slight pivot? Yeah, I, I came to realize that, you know, in these 15-minute office visits, uh, Greg, I finished my training when HMOs were in their heyday. And so, you know, we were really trying to see patients quickly, but it wasn't that effective. And I was realizing I wasn't making much of a difference. And in the meantime, most of my patients were coming into the office during their work day and then going back to work. That's where they were most of the day. That's where most of their health is being influenced. So it was then that I realized I could probably make much, a much bigger impact if I was working on the inside of a company than in a physician's office. And that's absolutely powerful to start recognizing that. One of the things we've talked about on the uh, podcast is the fact that we spend more time at work than we do with our families these days, at least waking hours. 
<laughs> yes. So there is the impact and we are influenced whether we want to admit it or not. We are influenced that way. You can't help but being influenced where you spend most of your waking hours. And so we talk about teamwork, leadership, and culture, uh, and like a Venn diagram and the intersections where it's all powerful. But we're going to take and dissect our word culture a little differently today. I want to get into and I want to get a clear understanding of what a culture of health means. So organizations have culture. We won't do this. We won't do this. We're productivity. We're powerful. We're great people who do this. This is our culture. But you're talking about culture of health. Can you yeah. tell what that, what that really means and entails? I'd love to. I got interested in this culture idea probably 12, 13 years ago as I was studying workplace wellness and in that space and realizing there were a lot of problems with it. There were it really wasn't panning out to be the way that uh, you might have been reading in the literature. And I came to appreciate that there was a much bigger, um, there are much bigger forces at play. And the word culture started getting thrown around. And I looked it up in Webster's. For those of us who grew up with dictionaries, Webster's Dictionary, uh, the shared behaviors, attitudes, and beliefs of a group of people. And in the workplace, that group of people is the workforce. And in the context of the work I do, it's the shared behaviors, beliefs, and attitudes that impact our health and well-being. It's as straightforward as that, Greg. So when we look at the shared behaviors, let's go back to talking about the influence there. I come into a new company. They're already going to have their shared behaviors and that's going to impact me as I come in. Am I on the right part there? Absolutely. Um, I subscribe to six well-being culture building blocks. And in the example you just gave, norms are the expected behaviors of a group of people. So if you come into an organization, you're the new employee, and you see everybody at lunchtime going for a walk, there's a good chance that you're going to go for a walk because that's the way we, we do business. Okay. The opposite is true. If people are working at their computers during lunch and you know, keep going on, and that's probably the way you're going to behave because those norms, those forces are quite powerful. So let's dive this down even a little deeper. We focus a lot on teamwork. Yes, you is do. Is it possible that one team doing task A – Mm -hmm. And another team also doing task A, but they're, they're working different areas of the company, but they do a lot of the same work. Is yes. it possible they could have two very different cultures of health? Yes. So the organization at large has its culture, but then there are different pockets across the organization which, that have their own what I call a subculture. And so a subculture can be defined by a very specific subgroup, such as a particular manager or a particular profession, like a profession of uh, being a doctor, or it could be a subculture defined by a campus. So if you're an organization that's large enough and you have more than one campus, you could have different subcultures on different campuses. And so we are influenced by all different types of subcultures throughout our workday. We've got a lot of folks that listen that are in the IT world mm -hmm. and IT help desks. 
So all of a sudden now we've got people that are in the help desk have one culture and it's possible that the developers on another side could have a whole different culture. So it's trying to make sure we blend those. Am I on the right part there? That is right. And an IT uh, subculture at one company might be different than an IT subculture at another company. Uh, They may be doing very similar jobs, but because of the way the people on the team interact, the social climate or the dynamics between the team and the manager, those things all shape the well-being culture on that team. Today, I'm gathering because of the passion I'm seeing in your voice and hearing in your voice right now. I'm assuming there are a lot of organizations that are, uh, I'm going to use the word falling short. Oh, yeah. It's more, it's more likely they're falling short than actually providing that rich and supportive environment that's going to help their workforce thrive. Okay. So where are they falling short? Well, uh, how much time do we have, Greg? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean... I guess this is the spot to say, whatever we don't, hey, pick up the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, certainly, uh, you know... Uh, That was a big reason why I wrote A Cure for the Common Company, because we are, as a society, our organizations have so many challenges, and that most leaders and managers have never been trained on their role in creating a healthy and well team, yet alone entire workforce. They they need a resource. Uh, So that was a big reason why I wrote A Cure for the Common Company. Now, Greg, Uh, Not to get into specifics, but I'm just going to reflect on a big part of your work, which is around teamwork. So one of the other six building blocks that I feature in the book is social climate. And that is, how do we feel about the people we work with? What is the general mood and attitude on the team? And do we share the same well-being vision? Like, do we all see well-being in the same light, or can we? So that that helps unite us in our quest to have a healthier and happier day. And so you and I both value good teamwork. And yet, in my context, it's about how we work together as a team, not only to have good outcomes for the team and the company, but good outcomes for the members of the team as it reflects on their health and well-being. You mentioned six building blocks. Yes. Can we run through what your building blocks are and how they kind of intertwine and build this principle? Absolutely. So to do this, uh, I'm going to share a phrase, plan for success, that may help our listeners remember the six building blocks. So the first building block is for the, the P in plan. That P stands for peer support. And this is how do the people on the team either support each other or not support each other. In fact, Greg, peers don't have to be on your team. Peers can be in another department, but if they're in that workplace, they can be either helping you or harming your health and well-being. The second building block, the L in plan, is for leadership engagement. And there's a whole host of responsibilities that are specific to creating a well-being culture on the team that leaders can choose to embrace. The third building block we we talked about already, Greg, it's the N in plan, that N is for norms. The fourth building block we also just reflected on, the S in success, 
is for social climate. The two C's in success, this one gets a little tricky. The two C's in success stand for culture connection points. Now those culture connection points are any way that the manager or the organization can influence or nudge or shape the experience so that it's easier for employees to make healthy choices and have positive emotions. And there's a dozen of those culture connection points in the book. And the last building block, the sixth building block is the last S in success, and that stands for shared values. Now, most organizations have values, and sometimes they call them core values. They rarely call them shared values. Shared values are those values that have been determined both between management as well as the employees. And it doesn't even have to be all of the employees, but at least a representation. Because when the employees have a say in what the values are, they tend to better reflect the notion that employees really value employee health and well-being. The value may not be literally employee health and well-being, but it is going to reflect something that supports their health and well-being. So there you have it. Plan for success. That's fascinating when we go down that because there's so much that ties into it. And you're right when we're talking about the social climate and the norms and then coming back to the shared values. There's so much that comes into play and how we work with that. Um, do they have to be done in an order or is this just building blocks that come together? How, how, how does that work? Yeah, they do not have to be in order. I'm glad you asked that question. None of these building blocks is more important than the other. The building blocks actually work best when they're used together. And there's a diagram in the book that shows that they overlap. It's a matter of trying to figure out where do you want to start? And sometimes the decision is based on, well, we're weakest in this area. Or the decision about where to start might be, hey, we're likely to be most successful in this area and we want to get a quick win. So wherever you choose to start, um, you really may be able to focus on that building block, but you're going to have to kind of bring in some elements of the other building blocks to really be successful. As we start to go, when we start working with the peers, mm -hmm. is, and I think I know the answer, but when we talk about peers, there are some people on a team who will bring a positive influence and there'll be those who bring the negative influence you talked about. Yeah. Now, if I'm a leader on that team, what can I do to make sure we're focusing in on that positive peer to peer experience? Yeah, leaders have an incredible amount of responsibility. And one of them is to create a positive attitude on the team and positive interactions between peers. So uh, what comes to mind, Greg, is that leaders can uh, show their appreciation for two teammates who are working together towards a healthier workday, because we know when the boss emphasizes and applauds something good that's happening, like two peers working together for a healthier day or a healthier mental outlook, that gets replicated. Now, on the flip side, if there's someone on the team who might be um, a distractor from a positive outlook, 
that deserves a conversation and not a conversation out amongst the whole team, but rather a conversation between the leader and the person on the team. Okay. Now, leaders have to be careful that they're not prying. You don't want to ask uh, personal health questions, but you could ask open-ended questions like, hey, I, I noticed that um, you, you made a comment that seemed to indicate to me that maybe something's wrong. Is there anything that I can help you with? And if this happens on a regular basis is, hey, I've noticed a pattern where you're having um, some comments that I think may be taking down the mood of the team. And let's discuss this. And by the way, you may not realize it, but that actually could be making someone else a little bit stressed or a little bit sad. And if you don't have a problem with it, I'd appreciate you paying attention to it. I mean, this is a gradual conversation, Greg. It's not that, something you're going to pop out and just hit them with cold. No. And, you know, mm. depending on your relationship with the people on your team, that level of trust depends on how quickly you can address it. I mean, there's a whole bunch of number of steps before that. Uh, and, and I do think that vulnerability and trust is hugely important in our own well-being in the workplace. And those who have listened to the many episodes of our podcast know the true foundation of any team is building vulnerability trust. Yeah. And I, we focus on that all the time. And I've still been threatening to get a little buzzer over here. Every time the word trust is mentioned, we go, woo. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some confetti that comes up onto the screen. Yeah. But when we stop to think about that, we start to pull it together. What about if the leader, if, if I'm a team member, and I see other behaviors that are not health conscious. And I don't mean the fact that somebody's, you know, eating, you know, birthday cake all day long. I'm not talking that. But if I see something that, that, that affecting the culture of the, of the team, the health culture. Yeah. And the leader is not taking a proactive approach. Is there something I can do? Yes, absolutely. And of course, it depends on the team dynamics. But First thing that comes to mind, Greg, is to talk to the team leader. Maybe they're not doing something about it because they don't realize it's a problem. But certainly, I'd have that conversation with the team leader and see how the receptive they are. If they're receptive to the message, but they're uncomfortable delivering the message, then there are a couple of options that come to mind. Okay. Hey, boss, is it okay if I bring up the conversation, not to call out anyone in particular, but to maybe let everyone on the team know, hey, I have, just sticking with your, your birthday cake example, I have diabetes and I think it's people are trying to be nice when they bring in desserts and snacks to the workplace, but I also kind of have a hard time um, saying no to it. So would you mind maybe if you're going to bring something into the workplace, maybe it could be on the healthier side or maybe don't tell me it's there. Anything that you can do to support me would really be helpful. And that way you're making it about yourself. Now, then another idea could be, hey boss, I know you're uncomfortable doing it. I'm uncomfortable doing it. What if we brought in someone from our health and well-being team? Maybe they have a way to communicate the idea that we all impact each other's behavior and maybe they can raise the, the conversation about how we support each other's health and well-being. Okay. All right. Let's look at the flip side of that. Let's say we've got a teammate on our team who works out every day before coming into work. They come in. They've got that right attitude. 
but they're very, I don't want to use the word self-centered because that's not the right word, but they're very focused on what they do for their business, what their job is, they're doing their tasks, they get their job done, but they're not really creating that culture. Is that, is that a potential challenge as well? Yeah, I mean, what I see more often, Greg, is that people who are health enthusiasts, they try to, uh, you know, probably not in an ill-intended way, more likely unknowingly are asserting what they believe to be is the healthy path. And that can be a problem on a number of different uh, levels. One is you don't want you don't want the health and well-being conversation to actually harm the team dynamics because we're so dependent on each other because we're working together all day. So one, you don't want it to be a relationship buster. And two, you don't want this health enthusiast to actually cause someone to really kind of boomerang. Listen, I can't run uh, a marathon, therefore I'm not going to walk at lunch because you know I may not be able to keep up with this other person and I don't want to be embarrassed. We really have to show a lot of respect for each other and know that we're all on a different well-being journey. And, okay. and that's part of this culture is, is respect and you know, helping each other regardless of where we are. All right, let's play this card. You got a lot of devils up your sleeve. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> one of the things I've always done in my life is always play devil's advocate. It's Even good. though I may agree a thousand percent with what's coming and what's going, uh, I've always done the what-if scenario. Yeah, and it makes sense because we're all working on different teams with different personalities, and we really have to know that it's not going to always play out the way we expect it or hope it will. So let's assume that you're the leader, and now you go to bring something up to somebody, and that person just looks at you and says, it's none of your beeping business. If I want to smoke, if I want to do this, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. Obviously, that... That, that's impacting the negative culture. Is there something we can do other than modeling the, the proper lifestyle? Sure. I mean, you know, hopefully the leader brought up whatever topic it is around health and well-being in an appropriate way. Okay. You know, we, we really, as leaders, can't ask personal questions like, do you have diabetes? Uh, how many hours of sleep uh, do you get at night? But we can say... Um, uh, is everything okay in your life? Is there anything I can do to support your health and well-being? Uh, by the way, um, I noticed that you were away from your desk uh, earlier today, uh, twice, and then again, twice this afternoon. And by the way, someone told me that you were uh, seen smoking on our campus. Did you know we have a no smoking policy? And it's not my policy. It's just, it's the company's policy. And see what they say. Okay. I mean, we have to, you know, respect that there are organization policies that people are entitled to their individual choices, and and that includes how they choose to to conduct their health and well-being during the workday, up until the point it starts to harm other people's health and well-being or goes against the company's policies. Okay. Do you have any recommendations for an organization that may not have a health and well-being position on their team? 
but they want to start to create this environment. So are there steps that people can start to do, organizations can do, uh, whether it's a small team or whether it's a large organization coming down from the C-suite? Are there, I'm assuming there's some similarities, but are there things that people can actually start to do right away? Sure thing. You know, not every company is big enough to have a person whose full-time job it is to support the health and well-being of the workforce. So uh, there's a couple of things that I can think of. One is uh, there's a video series that my colleague and I created at Hopkins for managers. It's called 10-Minute Well-Being Tips for Managers. And this video series was recorded and it's on YouTube. And so you can go there and there are 46 episodes for managers to review and you can watch one. And at the end, there's tips. There's a tip or two for the manager's own well-being. And then there's a tip or two for what you can do with your team. And it's a really, it's a step-by-step instruction. Now, some weeks it's going to make sense and the manager can go back and bring it up at the team meeting. And other weeks they're going to be like, you know what, I, I, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm just not comfortable with that topic. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. There's no way anyone's going to cover all 46 topics, but just find the ones that work for you. Okay. Um, you know, uh, Greg, just an individual manager working on their own well-being will help the team. Most of us don't check in with our own emotions during the day. And if we're stressed, which 70% of us reportedly are stressed, that stress in the moment can cause those around us to be stressed. So really, uh, another, the second piece of advice is for managers to learn how to lower their stress level so that they don't negatively impact the stress of the people on their team. And Greg, I'm sorry, I I don't want to sound like a commercial, but the book, A Cure for the Common Company, really was written for managers and leaders so that they could take the information and start to apply. It's a very practical book. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm a physician, but it's not a scientific book. It is written so that people can take what they're learning in the book and apply it. And that's so key because so often we read things, and I picked up several books in my life, on behavioral health and things of that direction. And it's like, wait a minute, I've got to read something four times to try and understand it. Look, we have an entire team uh, that works in employee health and wellness at Johns Hopkins. And yet we need every manager and every leader, vice president, the CEO on board in order to optimize the well-being culture. And in order to do that, we need to give leaders resources. And the Mm -hmm. book is one of them. So obviously, I'm going to put a, uh, if we can get a link to your book, uh, we'll put it in our show notes, okay? But also, uh, can you get us the link to that YouTube channel? Yeah, I can send you a link, Craig, absolutely. And I'll make sure that appears in our show notes as well for everybody, so they can go right there. The more things that we can give them that they can actually go to and use, I think people will do. Oh, absolutely. And it's easy. It's 10 minutes. Yeah, and that's that's beautiful because one of the things I talk about is having the huddle meetings in businesses. What you can do, grab this, use this. You can do the ten minute health today, and you can do something else tomorrow or next week, whatever. So those all come together. Um, the more we start to bring about this mindset, I think is going to be a, a true cultural shift. One of my clients several years ago 
did something where they actually would reimburse every employee, and the keyword was reimburse, mm -hmm. every employee for anything they did by providing a receipt of anything that was providing them better health, whether that was getting a massage or joining a gym, whatever it was, the company would give them up to $200 a year for doing certain things like that. Is that something that organizations you're finding more of today? I don't know the numbers, Greg, but that's a common strategy and it allows for uh, the individual well-being journey. There's no way a company can create all of the resources to support each individual in an organization. So giving them an allowance for reimbursement so that they can use it to support their own well-being is, is a great idea. Mm -hmm. It's not a substitute for creating that well-being culture in the workplace. So if you get that, you know, let's say your allowance is $100 and you, you use it all in one day for one massage, what about the other 250 days of the year that you're in the workplace? You really need to make sure that some of the money is used to train leaders, managers, and whatever that. other you know baseline resources might be mm -hmm. needed. Organizations that want to start something beyond the YouTube and the book, is there something yeah. else that I, I could do as a manager uh, right now, if I don't have a budget that I can go out and do, I mean, you've given us two great ways there that are very inexpensive. YouTube's free. Yeah. So um, something like that. Is there something else as a manager that I can pick up and just start to do? Well, I would, if I'm a manager of a small team, I would have a conversation with my team. Okay. Hey, um, I would like to know what is getting in the way of your well-being during the workday? And I'd love it if you share it in a group, but if you're not comfortable, let's talk about it at our next one-on-one. -on -one. And if you're still not comfortable, that's your choice. You don't have to share anything that you're uncomfortable sharing with me, but I wanna support you. And the only way I can support you and the way I can support you best is if I can figure out what would help the most. Those conversations are free and perhaps what's gonna come out of it is something that might re require a budget. And that's when you might be able to go to human resources and say, hey, can you spare $200? Because you know, most of my team doesn't know how to sleep well at night. And we'd really love to have someone come in and talk to us about how to get a better night's sleep. I'm just throwing that example mm -hmm. out there, Greg. Right. It could be okay. anything. Okay. And that absolutely works. So let's talk about the benefits. When we get the culture of a better well-being mm -hmm. what are the benefits to the team what are the benefits to the organization uh there there are countless benefits i'll stick with the sleeping thing because this is a common problem in in our country uh challenge I, today I, yeah i i mean i i don't remember the statistics but some high proportion of the workforce is not sleeping seven to nine hours every night and just sleep alone. If we don't sleep well, <clears throat> we might not be in the best mood the next day, which makes us not a great teammate. If we don't sleep well, we can't focus that well, and therefore we can't do our best work. If we don't sleep well, that contributes to a lot of different chronic diseases. People don't realize it's not just about being tired. It increases our risk of high blood pressure, increases our risk of heart disease, lower immune system, which means more infections. And so the, the list goes on and on. 
from a macro level, from the organizational level, when we have a healthy and well workforce, not only will our healthcare costs go down, but we'll also be able to retain our employees because people want to work in a workplace that supports their health and well-being. And when they feel good about the support they're getting, they're going to tell their friends and family, they're going to become your best marketing tool. That's going to make recruitment easier. So we got lower healthcare costs, improved retention, talent acquisition, increased productivity, fewer workers' compensation claims because people will get injured less on the job when they're in better shape. There's, there's, and there's several other things. And that's where people don't even realize sometimes if I'm not getting the sleep or if I'm having a health problem, they don't even think what is happening in their personal life may be contributing to a downturn. Yeah, they're doing this. They are connected. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're doing this, but it's really this. It's got to be more connected. That's one of the reasons, you know, the sleep apps on a watch these days are just amazing. Um, you know, I go back and I look at my sleep rhythms, how much I'm getting to my REM, my deep, my light sleeps, making sure that I'm getting appropriate sleep. You know, so those are things that really come into play. Yeah. This has been incredibly helpful. If I want to do something on my own, if, if Bob is at the office and wants to do something on his own, the company's got something, what's one of the things you would recommend today for somebody to start getting a personal? Let's get away from the team right now for yeah. a second. What's something somebody could do personally to start off and we'll wrap up our interview with that? Sure. At the end of each building block chapter, I turn it around and give tips for the reader for themselves because it is important and those building blocks can work for you. So just thinking about the peer support conversation that we had at the beginning of our conversation, Greg, who is it in the workplace that's supporting your health and well-being? And if there is none, is there someone that you feel comfortable approaching? Because if you're having a hard time um, let's say getting up from your desk at lunch, wouldn't it be easier if someone came over to you and say, hey, it's noon, let's take a break. Let's go take a 10 minute walk together. I think so. I think the answer is yes. And if there's someone on your team who's actually harming your health and well-being, you may not have thought of it this way, but who is the person who's always bringing in the chocolate? Is there a way to have a non-confrontational conversation with this peer to say, I think what you're doing is nice. I happen to love chocolate. I also happen to have a problem with my cholesterol. And I'm wondering if there's a way that you can still be nice to the team and for me to not eat it. I know it's my problem, but I'm really looking for help. Okay. And by allowing themselves to be vulnerable, that comes into play. Yes, absolutely. One quick follow-up to that. Yeah. Remote working, I think, yeah. has caused a big challenge here. Am I on the right page? You are correct. All of us need some degree of social connectedness, and people may be getting it outside of work, or they may not be. Uh, they may be getting it through a video conference, but we still miss some of that. Uh, and so, you know, there's, um, you know, loneliness has become a huge problem, even in a workplace where there's a lot of people employed. Uh, you know, we're talking like 25, uh, no, 50% of the workforce, this is a statistic I came across recently, feels lonely in the workplace at least once a week. 
So they may go through a period where they're like, I'm feeling not connected to the people I'm around. And so um, pay attention to your remote workers. I happen to be a fan of people being able to have some flexible schedules if your occupation allows it and still coming together physically so that you can connect socially because not only do we know that it's good for our own mental health and physical health, it's also good for the team's health. You want a healthy team too, because if not a healthy team, the team falls apart. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rich, it's been so powerful hearing some of the thoughts here. Um, the teamwork advantage is all about that. Early on, we had a guest on our podcast who was a physical therapist right in the beginning of the pandemic of how to make sure you're doing some exercises at your chair. All of that starts to come into play, whether it's our mental health. We've talked about neurodiversity, whether it's all these types of things that come into play. You've really put a good bow on this today, and it really is very impactful. Once again, the name of your book is? A Cure for the Common Company. I'm going to actually have a copy right here. We got okay. a little smiley faces going on here. All right. Smiles help smiles. <laughs> <laughs> a Cure for the Common Company. and I love that. It's not the common cold. It's the common company. Yep, yep. So that really does work. We'll put the links on our website and uh, on the podcast notes. We'll have some fun with that one. Thank you once again for joining us. Thanks for I know, folks, once a week, this is so good, once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, you get ideas that you can implement right away. Just getting the idea of those six building blocks that Rich talked about today will help you start to build a culture of well-being for you, your team, and possibly even your entire organization. Until next week, remember, having a good day is just being average. Go out and make today and every day an excellent and exceptional day. Till next time, take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit TeamsRock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on The Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.